This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Recently, I was invited by a good friend, Pastor Ray Matos, of Catacumba Five Church in Puerto Rico, to come and speak at his annual conference to pastors, business leaders, and ministry leaders. And while we were there, we also visited our Somebody Cares Puerto Rico site that was established after Hurricane Maria. Catacumba Five and Pastor Ray Matos and his wonderful team have been facilitating ongoing outreaches to the rural communities and to those that were most uh, hit hard from the from the hurricane and those who have really been uh, been impacted in a very difficult way. And during that time, as we were leaving back to catch a small eight-passenger plane on a Cessna from Maraguay's back to San Juan, and then from there changing flights to go on to New York and back to Houston, it was an eight-passenger Cessna that we were getting on, my wife and I. As we were on that flight, I met a young man who was born in, in 1984. I noticed something unique about him, first of all. One was that he had an Army backpack, so he was obviously had been in the Army, and also that he had lost a limb, so I right away recognized he probably had been in combat. And when we get on the plane, uh, my wife sat behind the pilot, I sat behind the, the co-pilot, and two rows back on this eight-passenger plane, uh, Haas is his nickname, he goes by Haas, he stretched out his, uh, his leg that's really no longer a leg but a, a, is a prosthesis, and as he laid, stretched it out, he told everybody on the f- small uh, plane, he said, don't worry about me, you can kick it, hit it, you can do whatever you want to it. I won't feel it. And I thought, you know, what a great example of a true hero and champion. One, not only did he keep a right perspective in the most difficult of personal circumstances, but he also had a sense of humor. And that's a quality I think that leaders need to have no matter what they go through, because true successful leaders have an ability to keep vision in the midst of unexpected difficulties and keeping a perspective and a right attitude gives them a capacity when it's time to recalibrate and readjust to get refocused to go towards their goal and to accomplish their vision. Haas was a great example of a of a hero to me, obviously. And as we began to talk, he towered me. He's probably about six foot three, six foot four. I'm only about five foot seven. But after we got off that plane in San Juan, spent some time talking and began to find out a little bit about each other. He had served in Iraq lost a limb in Iraq, and was now going back to college. And he had been in Puerto Rico wanting to go scuba diving, although he only had one one leg. And he began to talk about all the things he wanted to do and accomplish because as a true champion, obstacles only are a setback for a moment because true champions have an ability to look past the obstacle and to overcome them. And that's what he was doing. He was out scuba diving. He was trying things he hadn't done. He was traveling. And he was on his way back to Ohio to go back to university. That was one of his other goals he wanted to do, is although he might be injured in body, and although he had been uh, hurt and, and lost a limb in Iraq, he wanted to accomplish things that others would seem too difficult for them. There is no obstacle too big, no circumstance too big, no giant in the way too big, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's, that's one thing I saw about Haas is that he had a desire to accomplish even beyond human capacity in the natural. And so uh, he was going back to college. We began to talk. I gave him a signed copy of my book, Leadership Awakening, and of course signed in there to a real champion and hero. And of course he made my day when he told my wife, he said, 
he, he said, you look like you could have been a, a special forces. I guess he was looking at my biceps and, you know, being 62 years old, going on 63 this year, I thought, wow, that was great for my ego, you know, that I'm still looking fit. And my wife says, oh, I'm going to have to live, listen to this all the way home on this flight. And Doug's going to keep reminding me, did you hear what Haas said? Did you hear what Haas said? And sure enough, I sure did that. But let me tell you about the importance of successful leadership today. I was sharing at the Chamber of Commerce uh, this morning that I was speaking at in Katy, Texas, that there are some similarities I have found in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, in the story of Cornelius, who was a who was, understood the power of prayer, compassion, and generosity. Here's a person who, in the natural, may not be what we would consider a born-again Christian, but there was four qualifications about him that I found are similar to the people like uh, Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A, or, or the Green family, who, who uh, founded Hobby Lobby, or other friends of mine that work at MediShare, or Christian Care, uh, uh, health care alternatives, or people like my friends at Insperity Corporation that has a nationwide corporation. And, and I began to look at all of them, people that I know from, from uh, Thrivent uh, Financial Services. There was something similar about every one of them, including even large corporations and conglomerates of friends of mine that I know around the world. There were some qualifications that seemed to be common about every one of them, that they had the capacity in their, in, to be successful leaders, and they had the ability to keep their vision of destination no matter what they were going through. And by keeping a right perspective in the midst of their circumstances and keeping a right attitude, they were able to to recalibrate and readjust whenever difficult things happened in the way. They had the capacity to think straight. One of the things I pray every morning is, Lord, give me a, a, a right spirit, a clean heart, and a sharp, stable, sound mind. And there are some things I look at in these great leaders that I want to, to know about. And just like Albert Einstein used to say, uh, that weakness of attitude will always become a weakness of character. So I want to discuss just a moment about the characteristics of leaders of these various companies I've talked about in many, many other companies, successful businesses, su- successful churches, successful leaders that I found were common in them. And ultimately, when they build something that's bigger than themselves and have a capacity to get out of themselves and not just believe the press and be enamored with their own success, but there is something that of a core value of non-negotiables and convictions they walk by and the characteristics of God's kingdom that I, th- I thought were very similar to what I read about the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. I'll call this uh, successful leadership, understanding the power of prayer, compassion, and generosity. Because when we touch God's heart, it attracts His presence and favor, which then moves His hand and His blessings over us, and that what we put our hands to do shall succeed. One of the things about Cornelius, a centurion of Italian regiment, uh, he was one who was called a devout man. In other words, he may not have been religious in the way we would look at religion, but he was a man who was sincere and earnest in his pursuit of faith. Secondly, he was one who feared the Lord in the best way he knew how, in the sense that he reverenced and honored the things of God, even though he didn't have a complete comprehension of who God was at the time. And thirdly, he was one who was given to generosity. He was one who gave generously. He was one who was known for giving charitable gifts. He was a person of, of a, generous, uh, a generous heart. I love one of the uh, the themes of Thrivent, for example, that I've gotten to know many of them from around the country and many of the folks that work with them, their theme is give generously. And I thought that is such a great term. 
It's been around over 100 years, but now they're opened up they, to, to, to financial services around the country. They, they are a Fortune 500 company, and yet they understand the importance of financial stewardship, and yet with generosity. They are charitable in everything they do as a corporate context and the culture and the value system of their company. Just like Chick-fil-A, just like Hobby Lobby, just like Insperity, just like so many other companies that I've been, had the pleasure of working with, that I've been able to go in and speak on leadership and, and encourage and motivate uh, some of their folks and talk about the challenges of the, of the pitfalls and obstacles that come along the way when we choose to do the will of God. And yet they've used principles that we can all glean and learn from because they are people who, who pursued, these leaders pursued with earnest and sincerity uh, the place of faith in, in, in God. Number two is that they have a sincere reverence of, and the, of the fear of the Lord, that they walk by conviction and they don't allow compromise to, to change their convictions, but their convictions are such a way that they will not be moved by compromise when confronted, when pressures in life come, pressures against their in their businesses, pressures in the media, pressures from others. They've stayed, they've stayed uh, tethered uh, and stayed grounded in their personal convictions. And from the top, it permeates all through their companies and creates a culture of success. So one, they, they are sincere and earnest. Number two, that they, have, uh, they reverence and honor the Lord. Number three, they are given to generosity and charitably, charitable giving. But number four, just like Cornelius, uh, were those who he was he prayed to God always. Now again, in, in the classical sense, Cornelius was not what we would call a born again Christian, but he had these qualifications that he prayed. Earn, he he was earnest and sincere in his pursuit of faith. He he feared and honored the Lord the best he knew how. He was known for generosity and giving. And number four, he was one who wanted to pray always, and because of that, God heard this heart of a sincere heart. And he gave him an angelic visitation, and that's when he had Peter go visit, uh, see uh, Cornelius in a dream, and came to visit him and expounded even further about the things of God. I found this to be true in every successful leader in all these companies I've had the pleasure of interfacing with at some different levels. And in fact, I've got to tell you a story of a, of a really close friend who I met in 1990. You may have read my book, Leadership Awakening. I talk a little bit about him in that book. He's one of the wealthiest, most successful uh, businessmen in all of Asia. When I first met him in 1990, I was coming out of Vietnam, working and doing humanitarian work with Vets with the Mission and other friends like Roger Helley, who was, uh, who was blown up by hand grenades, shot twice, and bayoneted all within a few moments, had 72 major shrapnel wounds. He was left to die in Vietnam War. They called, he wrote a book about him called My War Beyond Vietnam, uh, Too Proud to Die, Point Man, various stories and books about him. But uh, he was taking a group of veterans into Vietnam because who survived what they call survivor's guilt. Many of their friends had died in Vietnam, and they really struggled through. And so I was going with them in 1990. And on the way back, I stopped in uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and I was asked to speak at a businessmen's luncheon. And a very distinguished man comes up to me, and he called himself Tan Sri, Dr. Francis Yeo. And he began to tell me all about his life. He had become a Christian, talk about who he was. He was given the highest title that anybody can get, be given by the king or the prime minister of the nation and just some of his core values. And I kept saying, I kept thinking, why are you telling me all these things? And he looked at me and said, I don't know who I can trust. And I feel that you're supposed to help disciple me. And of course, I knew I couldn't disciple him from Houston, Texas, and he lives across the world in Malaysia. 
and, and I wasn't accustomed to, to, to fellowshipping in the sense of, of ministering to people at that caliber and level and success in business. And, and I had small businesses when I was younger, and I had managed small businesses. I had my own business, but nothing at that level. And he, he just looked at me, and we began to talk. I said, look, if, let's become friends. I want nothing from you. I want literally nothing from you but your friendship, because I know it must be tough knowing why people want to get to know you. Some people want to get to know you because they want a job, or some president or prime minister of a nation wants you to, to do business with their country, or you know all these different levels. So it's hard for him to determine who really can I trust. And one time when I went back there, we became friends, and after I was there, he asked me to speak to all of his managing directors of his different uh, companies, and we were talking, and he said and to his managing directors, he said, you know, the highest form of worship is simple obedience to God. And I said, Tom Street, that's incredible. That's, uh, uh, can I borrow that? He looked at me and said, my dearest brother, I read that in one of your books. I said, oh, I better read that book again. But it's so true. The highest form of worship to God is our simple obedience to Him. See, the first time the word worship is ever spoken of in Scripture is not in the context of instruments or singing. That's an outward expression, but it was in the context of living worshipers in their simple obedience to God. And that's what God's looking for, our simple obedience. So we need to be first and foremost leaders who are sincere and earnest in our pursuit of God and faith. Number two, to be reverential and honoring of the Lord and to fear God. I like what, uh, what John Wesley used to say. He said, give me a hundred people or a hundred men who fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will change the world. What a great thought that you don't, there's nothing to fear because in God there is no fear. We're a people of faith. But not to hate anything or anyone except for sin. To hate sin is to love God and love people. And to fear nothing but to walk in faith. To fear nothing but God and, and to hate nothing but sin. And so I, 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 as we were, I was thinking about these qualifications, so my friend said this, and I go, oh, wow, I need to read my own book. And then he said something else. He goes, I was in church raising his hands, worshiping one day, and he heard the Lord speak to his heart saying, why do you worship me? He, see, Tonsri understands perspective, and it was a lesson I've learned, I've shared over and over since he's shared with, with this with me decades ago now, and he was sharing with his manning directors. He said, God was speaking to him the same way he was trying to see who he could trust. God was saying, do you raise your hands in church and do you worship me because of what I can do for you? Or do you worship me just because, because, because of who I am and what I've already done for you? And he understood that because he didn't know why people wanted to get close to him. Do they want a job? They want to do a business deal. What did they want some money from me? They want a, a donation to their church organization. Everybody wanted something from him. And yet he understood when the Lord spoke to his heart saying, Why do you worship me? Do you worship me because of what I can do for you? Or do you worship me just because of who I am, what I've already done? Wow, what a great example. And I've gleaned that from Tom Street all these years. And that's why I've dedicated a book to him. And, uh, and I've written about him in, in my leadership awakening as, as well. But here's another person in, in uh, keeping perspective. If we keep our perspective, then, then no matter what we go through, no matter what unexpected uh, distractions or disappointments or challenges, we can keep our vision of destination because we keep a right perspective and a right attitude in the midst of it, which then is very necessary. We need to be able to keep recalibrate and readjust and refocus when necessary when we're confronted with challenges. So for us to have the capacity to do that, we have to keep perspective and right attitude. 
Another person I talk about often is Reuben. I think I've shared about it in a previous uh, podcast. Reuben, when he was five years old, his father was killed over some gang activity type of relationship and drugs. And so Reuben grew up with a chip on his shoulders. But, but he came to a perspective in his life that if he kept his eyes fixed on the Lord, there's nothing that was impossible to him. Today, he's a very successful family businessman who owns gas products and outdoor kitchens, etc., He is a person who's been able to readjust, recalibrate in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances, even the culture of his life growing up. And he decided that would not dictate him who he was. But in Christ, he could keep his eyes fixed on the Lord. It will be worth it when we see Jesus. See, life's trials seem small when we compared to who Christ is in those situations. The 12 spies went into the promised land. They came back and 10 of them said that giants are so big we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. Look, if you see your circumstances as being too big, then that's exactly what you're going to that what you're going to act like. But if you see God is bigger than the circumstance or bigger than the giants in the way or bigger than your obstacles, then you'll you'll keep a perspective eyes fixed on the Lord heart in the Lord to overcome every obstacle, every giant, and every situation. We need to build on the fundamentals and be consistent in times of pressure. One of the outstanding principles I learned from the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, who was the the, uh, founder of the Christian Men's Network around the world, is that pressure magnifies. And one of the examples he gives is that a baseball player up to bat at the first game of the season with bases loaded, bottom of the ninth inning, If he strikes out, it's a pretty bad deal. If he hits a grand slam, it's a big deal. But it's a much bigger deal on the the last game of, of the ninth inning of the last game, bases loaded of the World Series. If you hit... And you, if you strike out, you lose your, for your team, it's, you're going to be remembered for what you did and failed. If you hit that grand slam and bring in the winning run, you're a hero and that moment will be remembered. So the pressure of the moment is magnified. So the first game of the year versus the last game of the World Series, pressure does magnify. But if we build on the fundamentals and we have our non-negotiable core values, like many of these great successful organizations have created a culture and a value system that's non-negotiable, they stick by their convictions so they do not compromise when the pressures of life come. So then we also have to learn to lead through difficult times. Sometimes we all go through difficult times and challenges in order to find out what we're really made of. God will not let us go through these trials unless he believes we can handle them. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 reminds us of this. See, God has a divine calling for you and for me, for each of us, and he's more than able to help us face our giants and fulfill his destiny for our lives. Yes, we all have unexpected distractions or detours, but God has divine interventions for us along the way. Remember in a previous podcast, I talked about perseverance. It's defined as steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. To persevere in your leadership, We need persistence, staying power, purposefulness, patience, diligence, and commitment. And one of the mottos of my life has always been, my desire to win must be greater than my moments of challenge. Uh, I was going to go into a little bit about the seven oppositions that will come against you when you choose to do God's will, but I think I'll leave it at this because there's a lot to chew on. But I do want to remind us of this, that there's nothing too difficult for God if we put our hope in God. I just finished an article that came out in April of 2019 for uh, Charisma Leader magazine. It used to be called Ministry Today. And I actually address the importance of the days in which we're living. And whatever you go through, if it's a business or building church or family or whatever you set out to do, that God wants us to lead 
well through our life's detours and to keep pressing on when it seems too difficult to press through. Think of Haas. Think of so many others who have natural things that have come against them that seem too big to overcome. Well, yet they can overcome. Champions only see obstacles as opportunities to overcome. Take those moments in your life that seem to be challenges, seem to be distractions, seem to be detours, seem to be difficulties, and fix your eyes beyond the circumstance to see God as bigger than your circumstance and to hold on to your conv- convictions and stay the, keep the culture of the non-negotiables. I do have to tell you one last story in closing, is that when Continental Airlines went from being the worst airline to one of the best, um, and then when they got sold to, uh, they became merged. In other words, they be, they became merged with United Airlines. My concern was here: an airline went from nothing, who became known for its service, taking care of its employees, taking care of servicing people, went from being the worst airline to the, to the best, and now they're merging with another major global airline. My concern was what culture would now be created in this merger. It's taken a few years for them to adjust this merger. And but I really loved Continental at its at its peak because it did understand servicing its client, recognizing to appreciate the client, those who travel with them because that's who pays their paychecks, but also how they had a culture of taking care of their employees and those that were part of their company. The same is true of Chick Fil A and Hobby Lobby and and so many other. Uh, there's a, a steakhouse that I love called Taste of Texas in Houston. And the cornerstone is scripture. It was a small hole-in-the-wall place, a steakhouse, all-you-can-eat salads. And a family of believers in Christ, they began a value system, created a culture and an environment that now when you go to their, their restaurant, it's grown. You have to go standing room only for sometimes two and three hours to get in on, on a peak night during the week. Why? Because they have learned servicing people, good product, service their client, their, their people that are coming to, to their establishment, but also a culture of taking care of their employees. And whenever I find places that have kept their employees a long time or have given them a, a leverage to be able to go get finished their education, I found in that kind of culture where you take care of your clients and you take care of those that are coming into your church and they can see the difference between authenticity and genuineness versus those who just want to get them in to get something from them. People want to know that we really care, that we're authentic. We want nothing from them but to love on them, to serve them. And we create that kind of environment. People will begin to knock down on our doors to come to us, be it in small business, medium, large businesses. Do not lose the culture of the non-negotiables of a core value system that loves God, loves people, services people, and take care of those who are working with you. So anyway, I'm all done for today. Never finish, just quit. But remember, success is not based on what you do on how many people follow you on social media, not how many people you bring in your numbers, but true success are those who have the ability to live a life of conviction and to walk in the characteristics of the kingdom of God because the characteristics of the kingdom of God emanate from the character of the king, King Jesus. And then it transcends and it comes through the leadership of an organization to and through you, and it creates a culture for others to follow. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.